Hey, welcome back to the podcast. So in these episodes of the podcast, we're walking through Holy Week, remembering the events of the last week of the life of Jesus. And today, we're taking a look at Wednesday. So what happened on Wednesday of Holy Week? Well, to be honest with you, we don't know. The Bible does not tell us. Sometimes Wednesday is nicknamed the Silent Day or Day of Silence because the Bible doesn't directly address the events of this particular day. So what we're going to do today is, number one, make a little bit of an assumption. And then number two, to wrap up the podcast, I'll draw back from the end of Tuesday. So the assumption. Well, we know that tomorrow, on Thursday, Jesus will take the Passover meal with his disciples, which will require a little bit of preparation. And so likely Jesus is making those preparations. It seems on Thursday that he's able to give his disciples instruction about where and how to set up Passover, and things have already been put into order. So perhaps those plans were made today. In a little bit more of an ominous way, it's very likely that today is the day that Judas is making concrete plans as well. And we'll talk about that now. So I want to read from Mark's gospel. This is a passage that I preached about a few weeks ago from Luke's gospel. And Luke puts this event not in the last week of the life of Jesus, but Luke puts this event much earlier uh, in his development of the story of Jesus. But the chronology there is not really intentional or important. Luke doesn't say uh, that it happened at the place that he tells it. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 14, because Mark does locate this event in the last week of the life of Jesus. He gives us a time marker. So Mark 14, this would be Tuesday night. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. You can kind of feel the weight of the temple judgment uh, from Monday. You can feel the weight of the pressure that was demonstrated at the triumphal entry when the crowds were gathering. And you can feel the weight from yesterday's events when Jesus walks into the temple and the crowds are behind him. And he's basically able to stand in the temple and teach and preach against the temple Uh, right there in the temple courts because the crowds have given him so much popularity. So you can see now that clearly the religious leaders know they have to kill him and they're ready to. So they're trying to find their way. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. They realize they have to find a way to do this that is uh, a little bit sneaky. They They can't let this happen in public during the Passover festival or the festival around the unleavened bread celebrations. And that's why they're going to arrest him in the middle of the night, try him before the sun comes up, and have him on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning so that anybody outside Jerusalem will have no idea what happened and only those who basically are on the inside would be able to support the events as they they unfold. Verse 3, While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, and I assume that he's been cleansed of his leprosy, uh, you find out in Luke's gospel that the man was of the Pharisee party. Doesn't mean he was a bad guy. Just means that he subscribed to their politics and religion that he he was a Pharisee. A woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money could have been given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Uh, Matthew 
Mark and John's Gospels comment on how expensive the perfume would have been. Uh, This woman's life had been radically changed by Jesus. We find that out uh, by reading all four Gospels side by side. And this expression of gratitude from her was very lavish. It cost her a lot. Perhaps this an alabaster jar of perfume represented her life savings or something to that effect. Some people suspect that. But in either case, her act of worship and devotion was lavish and grand. Now, symbolically, it serves as an anointing for the body of Jesus because Jesus' body is going to be put away uh, somewhat quickly. And so this, uh, this anointing out of obedience to the Lord and out of gratitude towards Jesus becomes kind of a, a ceremonial anointing of his, of his body for death. The other thing that I think is interesting here is that in John's gospel, uh, John elaborates that when people were complaining that, hey, this could have been sold for a lot of money, Judas in particular was upset about it. And the Bible tells you that he was the treasurer for the 12 disciples in John chapter 12. It lets you know that he used to help himself to the money. And he was concerned about this. He would rather see the jar of perfume sold and the money put into their coffers, very likely because he could help himself to a portion of it. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. This verse has been misread by a lot of people where Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. That is 100% true, but some people would take that as a reason not to care for the poor. And it just so happens that while that was the reason that this woman should worship Jesus well with that jar of perfume, uh, it also does not give Christians an excuse for not caring for the poor. The Bible is super clear that that's exactly what God wants us to be doing. In fact, Jesus did a great job caring for the poor, and that's the reason people would have expected that this would have been put into the coffers to care for the poor. So this is kind of an exception to the rule, but it's really ridiculous to me sometimes how people misunderstand or misuse that one comment from Jesus. Yes, it's true. You'll always have the poor with you. And yes, it's true that we should worship the Lord lavishly at times when he calls us to. We should be filled with gratitude. But what we also have to realize is that in this moment, Jesus literally is going to be taken to the cross 48 hours later. And so this is an act of worship and devotion to Jesus that is more important than the disciples are able to realize at the moment that they're hearing this. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. They probably don't realize how important that is because they're thinking the burial may be years away. But he knows it's days. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So the, I guess the reminder that Judas, after this event, that seems to be the straw that broke the camel's back. And again, John elaborates on it a little bit, that this uh, opportunity to worship Jesus with the alabaster perfume, jar of perfume instead of giving the money to the poor where he could help himself with it seems to be the thing that frustrated him uh, and finally I guess pushed him over the edge. Also, you notice that when he goes to uh, the when he goes to the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, to make this deal, uh, Mark and everybody specifically tells you that it was for money. 
And so Judas at this point, uh, he's really sort of stepped over a line. All right, so what do we do with this? Well, these events would unfold into the next day, right, to Wednesday, to the day that you and I are remembering. Judas, no doubt, is looking for opportunities and making his schemes today. And Jesus, anointed for his burial, is awaiting the proper time. So tomorrow he'll take the Last Supper, and on Friday he'll be on the cross. It's a good opportunity for me to remind our church family as we remember Holy Week that on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, so that means today, tomorrow, and the next day, we'll be gathering at noon in the fellowship hall for what we call Journey to the Cross. It's a lunchtime meal and a devotion in a 45-minute format from noon following so that you can bring friends from work, engage the scripture, and worship Christ Christ together uh, as a church family, and then make it back to work. So I want to encourage you, if you can make it today, I'd love to see you at noon in the Fellowship Hall. God bless you, church family, and happy Holy Week.